All right, well, I want to read a, a few verses of scripture found in the book of Jonah, chapter number four, verse number one. I'm reading from the New International Version. It says, But to this, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Say, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. I want to stop reading right there and tag a title to this text. We're going to talk from this subject in our time together today. I can't believe they are getting away with this. I can't believe they are getting away with this. Uh, clap your hands, 12 o'clock. It's a little, little, little dreary. E either y'all been outside this weekend or you on your way outside. It's a little... It's a little Family, I recently came across a quote that I thought was, was an asset to what I'm going to be attempting to talk about in our time together today. Uh, and the quote went something like this. How people treat you will determine their harvest. How you respond will determine yours. How tr people treat you will determine their harvest. How you respond will determine yours. And this phrase is a powerful principle I think we should all put into practice when we are navigating seasons where we are experiencing the inevitability of adversity. Did I just hear you correct, Pastor Darius? Did you just call adversity inevitable? Yes, I did. I did because I eavesdropped on a conversation that Jesus was having with his apprentices. And in John chapter number 16, he says these words to his apprentices. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In other words, if you are unaware of what I'm getting ready to articulate, it's going to create the absence of peace. In other words, that your lack of peace is going to be based on your lack of information. He says, I want you to know this because I understand the power of ignorance. I want you to know this because ignorance is expensive. I want you to know this because whatever area you are ignorant in, you are vulnerable in. I want you to know this because the, the, the prophet Hosea put pen to paper and said this in Hosea 4, 6. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge because the enemy operates in the arena of ignorance. As a matter of fact, one of the metaphors that the Bible uses to describe the enemy is he's called the prince of darkness. Darkness is not just a metaphor for evil. Darkness is also a metaphor for ignorance. When someone is ignorant, they are in the dark. And the apostle Paul says, if we are ignorant of Satan's devices, he gets an advantage over us. Please don't mishear me. Ignorance is not the same as intelligence. Intelligence speaks to your capacity to comprehend. Ignorance speaks to the accuracy of the information you've acquired on a given subject. So 
Ignorance is not just when I don't have any information. Ignorance is when I got the wrong information. So this means the devil works diligently not just to keep us uninformed. The devil works diligently to keep us misinformed. He wants to give us bad information, but in order for us to accept bad information, he's got to send it through good people. In order for us to accept bad information, he's got to send it through good sources. So a lot of the time, one of the places that the enemy engages in the dissemination of misinformation is the church. Y'all aren't talking to me. And some of us are uninformed about the inevitability of adversity because we received information that has reduced and relegated our ability to have victory to avoiding trouble. We have been mistaught that you can rebuke everything, that you can bind everything. You can rebuke the devil and you can bind the devil, but you can't rebuke God and you can't bind life. Are y'all here in this trouble? So Jesus says, I want to say this to you so you can have peace. To be surprised by the inevitable is to be naive. So let me say this to you so that when it happens, you won't think it's abnormal. Because when you think it's abnormal, you personalize your pain. You say, man, this is, why is this happening to me? No, this happened to everybody. Let me say, <laughs> come on now, come on. It's, it's not that you're glad that it's happening to somebody else. You're just happy you're not the only one. This side not giving me realness today. I said, it's not that you're glad it's happening to everybody else. You're just happy you're not the only one. So Jesus said, all right, I'm saying this to you so that you have peace. In this world, that's what he says, in this world, you will, <laughs> I got a witness, somebody's going to help the preacher preach today. In this world you will have trouble. Right? I love it. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. Here's what the King James Version says. Be of good cheer. Because I'm not finished talking yet. Be of good cheer. Because I got something else to say. Be of good cheer. Don't put a period there. Put a comma there because I have overcome the world. In other words, he's saying, watch this, that your victory doesn't come by you always avoiding trouble. He says your victory comes sometimes by you overcoming it. The gospel is not a gospel of avoidance. The gospel is also a gospel of overcoming. If you avoid, you win, and if you endure, you win. Y'all missed it. Either way, all I do is win. Sometimes I have a Passover victory where things pass me over. But then there are some seasons where it doesn't pass me over. And I end up 
in the fiery furnace like the Hebrew boys. But here's the revelation. If he doesn't stop me from going in, it's because he plans to get in with me. If he doesn't bring you out, that means he's on his way in. And is there anybody honest enough to say, 2023 has not been without trouble. I've been in the middle of some fire, but I'm still in my right mind. I'm still in one piece. The Bible says the Hebrew boys came out of the fiery furnace and didn't smell like smoke. I'm telling somebody, when God bring you out, you don't smell like what you've been through. Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. He said, but as long as you got residence in this world, you're going to have to deal with some sort of adversity. He said, I want you to know that so that when it happens, you have peace. I want you to know that so that when it happens, you're not saying, this isn't supposed to happen to me. He said, I want you to know this because some peace doesn't just come through prayer. Some peace come through preparation. Some of us, I, I don't have time, but some of us, some of us would have more peace if we were more prepared. Come on and talk to me. I said some of us would have a little more peace. It's like, who's more prepared? So I'm telling this so you have peace. As long as you have residence in this world, you're going to have adversity. Why? Because you live in an imperfect world, so life happens. It means that this world is not functioning according to the original intent of the creator. Does that make sense? All of the created order is impacted. And as a result of that, life happens in ways we can't control or predict. Economic downturns, tornadoes that blow away everything you spent your whole life building. Tsunamis, unexplainable illnesses that come out of nowhere. Sometimes we got to deal with adversity because life happens. Then sometimes we got to deal with adversity not because we live in an imperfect world. Sometimes we got to deal with, that, with adversity not because life happened, because, but because we happen. Come on and talk back to the preacher today. I said because we happen. As an imperfect person living in an imperfect world, we have the ability to make imperfect decisions. And every decision is pregnant with the potential to produce a season. And some seasons we live in are a result of decisions that we made. Sometimes the inner me is the enemy. So life happens, I happen. But then also, there's some adversity we deal with. This is where we're going to land today, because people happen. Yeah, sometimes we deal with adversity not because life be lifing, but because people be peopling. Did you hear what I just said? 
It's not just that life be lifing, but people be peopling. Because God has the human species living with interdependence. And as a result of that, I can be directly, or you and I can be directly or indirectly impacted by the activity of other people. It means that some of the adversity that you and I experience isn't just tied to the decisions that we make. Some of the adversity that you and I experience is also tied to the decisions that other people make. And so when other people are making good decisions, we can be blessed by the decisions that they make. But when other people are making bad decisions, we can be burdened by the decisions that they make. And this means you're going to hit a season in life where you become the victim of somebody else's imperfection where you become detrimentally impacted by somebody else's dysfunction. And this is why I said this in the first service, but I just feel like I need to spin the block and say this one more time. And that is, this is why you got to be so conscious and so careful when you start entering into covenantal relationships with people. Because you, watch this, you shouldn't just enter into covenantal relationships based on what their body looks like and what's in their bank account. I need to know what kind of choices do you make. I need to know are you responsible with your decisions? Because when I come into relationship with you, I am not just joining with you in a sense that I benefit from your good choices. I am also joining with you because I'm impacted by your bad choices. I want to know what kind of decisions do you make? We are impacted by the imperfections of other people. And it's one thing to navigate through a season of struggle because of what you did to yourself. It's another thing. <laughs> I can handle it when I cost it. Who's going to wave at the preacher and talk? Yeah, it's one thing to navigate through a season of struggle, and I did it. It's another thing for, for us to have to navigate through a season of struggle because of what was done to you. Did you hear what I just said? It, it, it's, it can be uniquely upsetting, agitating, and unnerving when you experience the agony of injury from individuals who are not only doing it, but don't care. <laughs> who are doing it and become upset and angry when you set a boundary and refuse to allow them to keep perpetuating the behavior that you've been tolerating for way too long. So you're doing things that are not considering me. So when I finally make a decision to set a boundary and consider myself, because obviously you're not considering me, you mad at me for considering me. 
advocating for me is not attacking you. You can be impacted by the activity of other people. Reputation injured because of people speaking recklessly. Y'all aren't talking to me at this 12 o'clock service. Yeah, yeah. Rep reckless conversations, gossip about things they are misinformed or uninformed about, embezzlement. Not just embezzlement economically, embezzlement emotionally. You taken and ain't given nothing. It's bad English, but good theology. I said taken, but not giving anything. Embezzlement and manipulation and gaslighting and exploitation and abuse and betrayal. are all weapons of mass destruction used to injure our soul. It is an inward wound. And those are much more difficult to deal with than outward wounds. Because when I'm bleeding outwardly, I see it. But when I am bleeding inwardly, I don't. Injury is an inevitability. Emotional injury is inevitability. You can reduce the likelihood of it with wisdom, but you cannot avoid it. To avoid, to avoid risk means to avoid love. Did you hear what I just said? I, 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 I said to, to avoid risk. To avoid risk means to avoid love. Because you can't love without risk. Did you hear what I just said? I said you can't love without risk. Love is taking your heart out of your body and putting it on the altar of somebody else's actions. Did you hear what I just said? It means that what happens with my heart is no longer just based on what I do. What happens with my heart is impacted by what you do. Because love means I got to give you my heart. Am I making sense? It's, it's inevitable family. And when we are dealing with these kinds of injuries to our soul, these injuries in our soul produces a sore in our soul called offense. And offense never stays offense. Ah, offense mutates into something else. And just like a cold can become pneumonia if you don't address the cold. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? 
offense can mutate into something else if it is not immediately and properly addressed. And here is the issue with offense. Offense doesn't always show up looking like pain. Sometimes when you've got unaddressed offense, it shows up looking like a personality trait. We think because I'm not hurting, I'm healed. When the truth of the matter is, am I making sense? When the truth of the matter is, sometimes that offense that was unaddressed became an infection. But the infection doesn't show up in the form of pain. It shows up in the form of personality traits. So now people become numb, unengaged, not vulnerable, not generous, hard, mean. Y'all aren't talking to me. Guarded. And they say things like, that's just the way that I am. And I'm not disputing whether or not that's just the way that you are. I am saying something made you that way. And the question you have to ask is, did the potter make me this way or did pain make me this way? Have you allowed the hands of pain to replace the hands of the potter in shaping you into who you've been called and created to be. And this is why you have to know, this is why John Bevere calls offense the bait of Satan. Because this is why you have to know that offense is never about offense. That what happened in your past is never about your past. It is always about your future. The devil wanted to use something that happened in the past to make you adopt a personality trait that you would carry into your future that would stop you from being who you've been called to be. I don't have time, but I, I do a teaching on this using uh, Paul when he got bit by snakes, uh, when he got snake bitten. And uh, I've taught you this before that that it's like snake bite, it can be the words or the actions of people, uh, and it, it's never a snake bite that kills anybody. Nobody ever dies from a snake bite. They die from the poison. And some of us think we winning because you survived the bite. And the devil's like, I didn't bite you to bite you. I bit you to put poison in your system. You survived the bite, but you're still walking around with emotional poison. So it's some personality. And so some of us have been this way so long you think it's you. I'm going to say that one more time. You have been this way so long. You think it's you. Because you don't remember the thing that happened that made you the way that you are. Therefore, we've got to learn the life skill of addressing offense immediately. Immediately. Did you hear what I just said? 
We've got to learn the skill of addressing offense immediately. I wish I could tell you, you would never be used. But if I were to tell you, you're never going to be used, that means I would have to tell you, you're never going to be successful. Because you can't be successful without at some point being used. I wish I could tell you that you can never be exploited. But the only way I can tell you that you'll never be exploited is to tell you to never be a good person. Because Because your goodness to someone else never makes them grateful. Only their character does. You can't out good bad character. And some of you just keep trying to do more and you giving more and you're showing up more and you're releasing more because you think if you keep doing more and giving more and showing up more, then they're going to be grateful. But your generosity never makes anyone grateful. It makes them entitled. Now they think they owed what you never had to give. So when you stop doing what you never had to do in the first place, now they act like you're actually doing them wrong. Let me say that one more time. When you stop doing what you never had to do in the first place, then they act like you're doing them wrong. You're like, wait a minute. Wait. I gave you all these yeses. All these yeses I gave you all of a sudden become irrelevant because I gave you a no when you ain't deserved the other yeses. Let me go to this side. Because if it had been somebody else, they would not have been as generous as I was. They would have not as been as patient as I was. It can't happen. It, it, it can't happen. You can't avoid, I wish I could tell you could avoid, you can't avoid it. You can't. I, I, I wish, oh, I have time. I wish, I wish, I could, I wish I could tell you. I wish I could tell you. You never be misunderstood. But for me to tell you you'll never be misunderstood means I have to tell you that you never need to reposition a relationship. Repo see, see, repositioning relationships doesn't mean you, you move people off your relational bus. Sometimes it means your season in this seat has come to an end. 
And it doesn't mean you wrong. It just means this is no longer right. But people will treat your repositioning as abandonment. All these years, I felt that I felt I felt serious. <laughs> All these years, I can't believe. You can't believe I move you from a seat that I only kept you in because of loyalty. You questioning my love? It is inevitable. And, and because it's inevitable, it is incumbent upon us to learn. This is a life skill. Releasing offense quickly is a life skill. Because Jesus said in Luke 17, 1, it is impossible to avoid offense because it's impossible to not be injured. Why is this important, Darius? Y'all all right? I got 11 minutes and 48 seconds. Y'all all right? All right, here it is. Here it is. This is important because if we don't learn the life skill of immediately addressing offense, we're going to hit a season in life where we're dealing, Marlon, with the accumulation of offense. Remember compound effect last week? Yeah. We're dealing with the accumulation of offense. Listen to this. And if we don't learn how to avoid the accumulation of offense, we'll find ourselves in a season where we're managing a meltdown because some meltdowns are a manifestation of the accumulation of offense. You let too much stuff go on for too long and it is compounded to the effect that now one trigger. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And an example of what I'm trying to articulate is seen in this text with this gentleman named Jonah. We, we read part of Jonah's story in Jonah chapter 4, but to understand contextually what's happening in chapter 4, we got to pick up with this story in Jonah chapter number 1 because Jonah chapter number 1 allows us to eavesdrop on a conversation that God is having with this prophet named Jonah. And he tells Jonah, I want you to rise and I want you to go to Nineveh because I've got a message I want you to give to the people in Nineveh. And the Bible says that Jonah hears the word from God he gets up and he goes down to Joppa God says go to Nineveh he goes down to Joppa God says go to Nineveh he goes down to Joppa God says go to Nineveh he goes down to Joppa because whenever you go in a direction that is opposite the direction God's calling you to go no matter what direction you going you are going down the money might be going up but you are going down the influence might be going up but you are going down he says because I never send you in a direction that is not mutually beneficial for the people I'm sending you to 
So the Bible says he goes down to Joppa. He goes down to Joppa Tario and he pays a fare and gets on a ship going to Tarshish. So he goes down to Joppa, then he pays a fare and gets on a ship going to Tarshish. Now, if he'd have went to Nineveh, he could have went to Nineveh for free. Because God underwrites your obedience. He say, if you will obey me, watch me underwrite it. If you will obey me, watch me send provision. If you will obey me, watch me swing a door open. So you obey me, I'm going to underwrite it. If I send you to a brook called Cherith, I'm commanding ravens to feed you there. But if you're looking for ravens at a place other than Cherith, you're not going to find them because your provision is where you're supposed to be. God, when are you going to show up? I'm going to show up when you show up at the place I sent you to. I'm waiting on you where I sent you. Did you hear what I just said? Favor is waiting on you where I sent you. Opportunity is waiting on you where I sent you. I got eight minutes. Are y'all all right? He paid a fare. Goes down to Tarshish and the Bible says in verse 4, that the Lord sends a great, great wind, a great wind. The wind is blowing, an unusual storm. Watch this. It's a sign, but Jonah doesn't see the sign because later God's about to send a whale, but he always sends the wind before he sends a whale. He says, I'm going to send you a warning in the form of the wind. If you ignore the warning in the form of the wind, then you're going to have to deal with the experience of the whale. Now, the wind is blowing. He can't get it. Because when you determine to disobey, your discernment is impaired. So stuff you would pay attention to, you explain away. They've been shysty. You've just been explaining it away. Let me go. Y'all, I feel they've been selfish. You just been justifying their selfishness. They have been manipulative. You've just been attributing their manipulativeness. God's like, you saw the wind. The Bible says the storm was so great that the mariners, the sailors, were afraid. This means people who were accustomed to traveling were afraid because the storm was so great. So they started throwing their cargo overboard in an attempt to lighten the load. The recovery translation of the Bible says they're actually throwing their equipment over. Now these are merchants, so, so they are literally responsible for transporting things from one place to another. This is the Amazon Prime on the sea. Got me? So they're carrying merchandise that comes from someone to someone that's paid for it. And they're having to throw those valuables overboard to keep Jonah on. They aren't doing wrong. 
They aren't going in the wrong direction. They aren't on the wrong boat. They don't, are y'all hearing what I'm saying? They aren't operating in disobedience, but they've got somebody on their boat that is. So they are being adversely impacted because they're harboring a fugitive and they don't even know it. And some of us are having to throw our values overboard to keep Jonah on. If I got to throw my values overboard to keep you on, you on the wrong boat. Bible says, they in a storm, they throwing the stuff over. Read the text, and Jonah sleep. If you don't wake up, how am I panicking because of you and you sleep? How am I doing work I shouldn't have to do because you sleep? How am I throwing cargo overboard and you sleep? You are irresponsible and sleep. I'm responsible and up, but I'm responsible for your irresponsibility. So these men say, hey, something happened here. Some of the gods mad at us. So they engaged in this superstitious practice called casting lots. And even though it wasn't a spiritually sanctioned practice, it was something that God used because he's trying to get a message across. They say, we got to cast lots. And whoever this thing uh, point to, that means that's the person that's responsible for what's going on. It ended up pointing toward Jonah. How many signs do you need? This man literally looks at them and says, okay, I'm the problem. You just now realizing you the problem after all you've cost me? My cargo gone. This was it. I'm the problem. Then he said, okay, guys, throw me overboard. You know where the edge of the ship is. But even in your apology, you're still operating with codependency. The Bible says they help him though. They throw him overboard, and the Bible says God had prepared a fish, a whale. So the same time that Jonah's thrown overboard, God had a whale heading in the right direction, traveling at the right speed, so that at the very time Jonah got thrown overboard, the whale just happened to be in the vicinity to swallow Jonah up. This is a powerful picture of the gospel, ladies and gentlemen, because the gospel summarized is God making divine provision to rescue humanity out of a mess humanity got itself into. It is God saying, Adam, you broke it in one garden, but I'm going to fix it on another. 
You are man enough to get yourself into it, but I'm God enough to get you out of it. Because the whale is not a picture of judgment. The whale is a picture of grace. Darius, how do you know? Because if he wouldn't have been swallowed by the whale, he could have drowned in the sea or died of hypothermia. But the Bible says when he's swallowed, he's in the belly of the whale for three days. I'm like, wait a minute, let me do some research. And I did some research because I'm like, how are you in the belly of a whale whole? I did some research and I saw that whales have teeth. And I also saw that whales have digestive acidic enzymes that break down and decompose food just like we do. So I'm like, how in the world are you in the whale and you're not torn to pieces? That's grace. I'm in it and I should be falling apart. But God is keeping me together. I got to get out of here. But is there anybody here today that can look back over your life and say, I am in the middle of it right now. And I should be falling apart. But somehow, some way, God is keeping me together. I'm done, Tario. The Bible says, from inside the fish, I got to go. It says, from inside the fish, I'm getting ready to run. Woo! It says, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to God. This is powerful because some of us would have allowed the guilt to silence your prayers. Some of us would have been sitting in that well saying, I deserve to be here. I got myself into this situation feeling so bad and so guilty that there's no communication. But the Bible says he lifts up his voice and prays. He has the unmitigated gall and audacity to be sitting in a season he got himself into and still say, God, I need you to help me. He had a revelation of Psalms 103.7, which says God made his ways known to Moses and his acts to the children of Israel. He understood that God specializes in getting us out of things we got ourselves into. This is why he refused to remain silent. He was sitting in a situation that he created himself, but he did not allow the enemy to silence him. The enemy wants to silence you by arresting you with guilt, and the enemy wants to use your silence because he doesn't want you to think that God's going to hear you because of your current condition. It works against you because the only way you're going to get out is if God gets you out. Now I have no other choice but to approach God and say, I don't deserve to have this conversation, but the only way I'm getting through this is if you bring me out. I want everybody that deserve deliverance to be quiet. But I want those of you I don't deserve it But I need you to get me out I got myself into it But I need 
ask God to get him out. The Bible says, he said, I'm sorry. He stayed in there. He said, I'm a sacrifice. He stayed in there. Then he said, I'm going to pay what I vowed. It says, when he said to God, I'm going to pay what I vowed. God spoke to the well. And the well spit him out. He said all that he said, and God didn't speak to the well until verse 10, when he said, I'm going to pay what I vow. In other words, God let him sit in it long enough. Until he was ready to keep a vow he would normally break once he got out of trouble. Y'all missed that. He said, I'm going to let you sit in this three days. Because if I get you out in one day, you promised me on day one, you're going to keep a vow. But because I delivered you too quickly, once you get outside the well, you go back on your word. So I'm going to let you sit in this long enough so that this time you really mean what you say. You say, I mean it this time. And the Bible says God spoke to that fish. I got to go. But it doesn't say he spoke back to Jonah. Jonah saying, God, get me out. There's nothing in the text that says God says to Jonah, I'm getting ready to get you out. It says Jonah spoke to God. God spoke to the fish. And the fish spit Jonah out. Jonah spoke to God. God spoke to the fish. And the fish had to spit Jonah out. Jonah spoke to God. God spoke to the fish. Maybe God's not talking to you about your problem because God is speaking to your answer. All Jonah knew is one moment he was in and the next moment he was out. I don't know who this is for, but you need to receive this word. That one moment, you're going to be in. We got to go. God's going to do it without a warning. God's going to do it without a word. God's going to do it without a prophecy. You're going to wake up one day. I was in, but now I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. Weeping may endure for a night. But joy is coming in the morning. I don't know who I'm preaching to, but I came to tell somebody, you getting ready to come out. God's speaking to your well, and you getting ready to come out. Yeah, I'm on my way. Yeah, it's my time. Yeah, God is getting ready to.
to do what my eyes have not seen, my ears have not heard, and I will not wait till the battle's over. But I, 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 I'm gonna shout right now. Gotta go. I gotta go. But my daddy used to say something when he was closing a sermon. He would ask the crowd a rhetorical question. I gotta leave your change, but I need to ask you a question that my daddy used to ask. Can I ask you the question? I said, can I ask you the question? Can I ask you the question? Ain't he all right? Got out of that well. He goes and preaches to Nineveh does in one day what it should have taken him three days to do. Jonah 3, 1 says, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And he preaches. And he goes back and watches to see what God's going to do with Nineveh. And God does nothing. And Jonah's upset. 
He's so upset. He says, I just want to die. Why would he say that? It's because Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, and the Assyrians had a generational history of literally opposing, decapitating, and engaging in acts of violence against Israel. So there's years of accumulated offense. And Jonah's looking at what's happening to them, saying, God, I can't believe they're getting away with this. How are they going to do me like that? And they not pay. And in the middle of Jonah's angry anger, God asked him a question. He says, is it right for you to be angry? It's like he's saying, he's saying Jonah, I want you to I understand that you've been injured and you've been upset, but you are mad at me doing for them what I just did for you. You alive because I didn't give you what you deserved. So Jonah, what you really upset with is my consistency in my character to those that you don't like. What you're really upset with is the fact that I am as good to them as I am to you. He says, they're not getting away with this because their actions don't stop your destiny. So Jonah, I need you to do three things. I need you to release the expectation for answers. You think you need answers to have closure. Closure is not a, closure is a choice. You decide when you close the door on that chapter of your life. And if you are waiting for information to close the door, it's not the information, it's you. Because you want people to give you answers they don't even have. They don't even know why they did it. Jesus is on the cross, he like, they dumb, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. So if I ask you for a reason, you're not going to give me one. I can't get an answer because some of you, you the perpetrator and you still feel like you the victim. You did me wrong. So I got to release the need for an answer. I can't have my future held up on your answer. So I'm going to close the door. Closure. Close the door. You can close the door right now. Because closure is your choice. So release the need, release the expectation for answers. Re-examine your assumptions about its impact. See, sometimes we're so upset because we're making assumptions that this is going to have a greater impact than it actually is going to have. We're thinking, they messed up my life. They can't mess up your life. Their actions won't have the impact you're assuming they, they will. No matter what happens, your actions right now have more bearing on what your future is like than what they did in the past. They can't stop you. If God be for you, who can be 
against you. They can lie, but they can't stop it. They can spread rumors, but they can't stop it. They can write posts and blogs, but they can't stop it. Because what God has for you, it's for you. And here, here's what you need to hear. I learned this a long time ago. God restores your reputation in the minds of those that are critical for your destiny. He don't need to restore your reputation with everybody because everybody not critical for your destiny. He said, but I'm going to restore your reputation in the minds of those that matter. And if they can't see the new you, then they don't matter when it comes to your destiny. And number three, rejoice in God's willingness to redeem. He redeems. I will take what should have taken three days, Jonah, and I'll do it in one. It should have took him three days to do that job in Nineveh, but God redeemed time. And that's one of the things that hurts us the most. We feel like we lost so much time. And we say things like, God, I'm never going to get that back. And God's like, I redeemed that, you know. I do redeem that. And remember, the redemption of time isn't God giving you more time. It's God saying, I'm going to take the time you got left. I'm going to do so much in the time you got left. It's going to make up for all the time you wasted. He said, I'm getting ready to swing one door. And this next door is going to be so crazy. It's going to make up for the ten doors that you missed. that offense accumulate you gotta release forgiveness which is a pardon it is writing off what they did to you as bad debt it is saying what you owe me you can never pay you can't give me you can't give me back what you took from me all them bad days I have you can't give me them back when you tell me you sorry nights I had to cry myself to sleep my heart torn into pieces you can't give that back to me so I gotta write it off as bad debt and say you owe me nothing cause somebody else has paid your debt in full Jesus paid it all so I received the blood of Jesus as full and satisfactory payment for what you did to me. You owe me nothing. Not because you deserve to be forgiven, but because I deserve to be free. <laughs> Clap your hands all over this house. You received this word. <laughs>